we go. Hey, Alex, will you do me a favor? Will you turn this heater down? <laughs> yeah, it's getting a little warm in here, so everybody's going to start shedding their <coughs> coats, and hopefully that's it. Um, <laughs> it's good to see you guys. <laughs> Happy New Year. It's 2016 for the first time two days ago. Um, a lot of these college students are still here. Good to see you guys. Glad you're here. How's college going? How's our witness? Awesome. <laughs> I got a couple thumbs up. Let me pray and we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for this new year, uh, the year of our Lord, 2016. I thank you for the opportunities that you give us every day to be in relationship with you. Uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your body. Um, I thank you, Father, for the opportunities to serve you. God, you, uh, you make yourself known here on earth largely through your people, and that's a, it's a big responsibility we have, but it is such an honor. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for bringing us together. Father, I do pray, as I often pray, that as we come in, you know, this is not a holy place different than anywhere else. Um, this is not a holy time different than any else, but it is a time where we gather to worship you. So, so help us to put our worries aside for just an hour. Um, actually, for a lot longer. But for this hour, let us put our worries aside, the things we're stressing over, the things that are distracting. Father, uh, empty our minds of those things and fill our minds with you. Be glorified, be honored. And if we need to learn something or make some changes, I pray that we would do that in your name. Amen. Amen. So most of you know, but, but we're going to say it again. It is the first Sunday of 2016. We are not officially launched yet. We launch... At, on Palm Sunday, really. Palm Sunday Easter is when we launch. So if you're expecting kind of a normal service, it's going to be pretty normal, but it's a little bit different. We are, we are not being overly evangelistic at this time. We're, we're assuming that you in here have a walk with the Lord and are excited about your walk with the Lord. So we're making some of those assumptions, if that makes sense. Uh, beginning after Easter, we're going to go through the book of John. Okay, so we're going to go verse by verse through John with some topical studies fit in there, okay? But we're not doing that yet. Right now, this is really training. That's what we're going for here is training of what we're calling the launch team. We're trying to build the DNA of what we think God wants common ground to be. And we're just one church among many. We're part of the church. We're not better than any other church, but we believe God has a specific calling for us uniquely. And so we're trying to develop that, figure out what that is, and build our DNA. Um, so just want to put that out there. Some of the, the ways that we're going to talk, the way I teach is trying to encourage us as a group, what God has for us. So it'll be a little different come after Easter, uh, but that's where we're at. So um, actually I was talking to Connor this past week and he said, how are you figuring out what to teach on? <laughs> and I said, well, there's been a lot of prayer and really what is most important? What is most important for a launch team starting out? What do we need? That's kind of what we're focusing on. So, um, we have a two-week series now, and then we have a, a series, a three-week series on the church, because I think that's really important that we figure out what's the church to be. I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what the church is to be. So what's my role? What are the leaders' role? What's your role? What's our role, bless you, in the world? Those are the things we're going to cover. Then we're going to have a series on evangelism. How do we live out? And, and we're going to have some actual you know, hands-on training. It's going to be kind of fun. Uh, but how do we do this? And I know some of you at, at college have gotten some really cool training and experience that we grown-ups need. And you guys are grown up too. But, but we need some of that, some of that practice of how to share the gospel, uh, how to give your testimony. We're going to be going through that. 
um, leading up to our launch. So that's, that's where we're at. But I wanted to, to start today, as I have been in prayer for many months and others have been in prayer for many months, where does God want us to go? And the thing that has driven us and, and the thing that has brought many of you here is the stat that 93% of Carson City is unchurched. Now, I want you to think about that. If 93%, you know, that number, 93%, if you were a student, and many of you are, is 93% a good grade? Raise your hand if 93% is a good grade. And we're going to see all the nerds not raise their hand. <laughs> Brendan, raise your hand. 93% is great. It's an A. Okay, Brendan, what's higher than an A? Um, 93%, that's pretty good. Uh, for me in school, 93%, I mean, I was ecstatic. If I could get a 93% and not take the final, I wouldn't take the final, and I'd just get the 93%. Carson City is 93% unchurched. What's that mean? Satan's getting an A. <laughs> Have you thought about it like that? Satan is getting an A. They're pretty good. When they get together, they're like, hey, we got an A in this area. High five. What's up with that? What's up with that? And how, how could we be okay with that? Satan getting an A. But then that leads me to the next thing. What about in our lives? Are we experiencing what is the fruit of the Spirit? Okay? The fruit of the Spirit in, in Scripture is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that your life? Most of us struggle with some of those things. I do. There's aspects of my life where... Satan might be getting an A. <laughs> what about your life? Is, is Satan winning in, in aspects of your life or in your family's life? Why? Why is it that even within the church, Satan is getting a good grade? And I think the reason is we've forgotten that our, our battle is not a physical one. Turn to Ephesians, please. That's where we're going to be. Page 676, if you're one of these. Okay, 676. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Jack's going to give you one. We have some in the back. Anybody need a Bible? Can you bring one up here, Jack? There, there. Three so far. Just for the, that's okay. I understand coming to church. And <laughs> right here, right up here. Thank you, Jack. And then right back there in the back, Jack, to your left. There we go. It's page 676 in these Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6. The title of this message, as you turn there to Ephesians chapter 6, is the key that unlocks the power of God. Because if God's power is unleashed, we won't see Satan winning, plain and simple. We won't see a grade of 93% or, or whatever the grade is in our own homes. We won't see that if we know the key and we use it. And the beginning is understanding that our, our battle, our battle is a spiritual one. And we need spiritual weapons. So look at Ephesians Chapter 6, I'm just going to read verses 10 through 12. This is the end of Ephesians, um, arguably Paul's second greatest work. Romans is kind of his, his uh, magnum opus, but Ephesians is full of theology and doctrine. And here he's finishing that with his instructions, and he says, finally, Ephesians 6.10. Oh, look, it's right there. You don't have to turn there, but turn there anyway. <laughs> finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, just so you know, we're not going through the armor today. I preached on the armor before. We're not going through the armor today, but we're going to skip over it, assuming we understand it. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you know that? <laughs> do you believe that? Our battle is a spiritual one, spiritual enemies. How often do we get focused on people or situations as our enemy? <laughs> but it's not. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual battle. Therefore, we need to fight with spiritual weapons. But I, I put in my notes as I was thinking about this, what are the things we care about most? Uh, you know, the battle for your own life and soul is a spiritual battle. The battle for your purity and holiness is a spiritual battle. The battle for your marriage is a spiritual battle. There's an enemy wanting to take it down. The battle, parents, for our kids is a spiritual one. The enemy's coming after our kids. The battle for our country is a spiritual one. The battle for the church is a spiritual one. All the battles worthwhile are spiritual in nature. Think about it. All of them. And what does success look like? So I was thinking about this because we've got to get a picture of success if we're thinking about fighting, right? You have a war. How do you know when you've won the war? What does success look like? And I think success looks like the verse I quote more than any other is uh, Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Success looks like me fully surrendered to Jesus at all times. That's success. That I am dead and Jesus is alive in me. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live. Christ lives in me. So all my desires that don't line up with God, I put aside and I follow him. Success looks like that in my life and in my family's life. At home, when each one in my family is living dead, we're not going to have arguments. <laughs> we're not going to have fights. We're going to be living for each other. How awesome would that be? Are my kids in here? Good. Um, what does success look like in our church, in the church? Everybody dead to self and alive to God and each other and God's mission. Think about that. You're not going to have debates over the colors of the carpet. Churches split over colors of the carpet and all those things. But when people are dead to their, themselves, they don't care about those things. They care about the mission. That's success. What if that spreads outside the church into the community and the people in our neighborhoods and, and city all are living dead to self and alive for everybody else. There won't be any poverty. There won't be need. I mean, holy cow, think about that's what success looks like. So you get a picture of success. That's what we're going for. The battle is a spiritual one. And I just want to let you guys know we're under attack. Um, this, was, this was the illustration. Oh, I'm right by the speaker. That's all right. So here's the door. Here's the door that, that, that opens the power of God on earth, okay? It is this door. If you can open it, you get to the other side. You get to the things that you want. Now, I can just reach around and unlock it, but that's cheating. But, but so we open this door. And I posted this on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, I'm going to start doing this more, kind of a, a blurb of what we're going to go for. But on the other side of this door, I just used a whiteboard, but you look here. What, what is it that we want most? God glorified, right? If we have Christ living in us, we want him to be glorified. We want revival. We want peace. Now, I'll tell you, my temptation is to put personal things on here, partly because I'm American, um, and, and we're very individualistic, and, and I love you, and I want to see you personally experience the, these things. But the greater things aren't personal. They're really corporate. They're, they're really broader, and that's why we begin with God glorified and revival, people coming. And when we're focused on God's things, kingdom things, the personal things kind of work themselves out. Does that make sense? So I have to avoid my temptation of being very personal and go a little bit broader. What is God's mission 
corporately, for all of us, for all of you together, and for this city together, all the churches together, not just our church, all the churches, you know, the city, the nation, the world. So, but these are the things we want. And then there are personal things on here. We want great marriages, don't we? We want obedient children in the Lord, right? My, my children? Oh, my child nodded. Yes, we, we want obedient children in the Lord. We do want contentment despite circumstances, right? We want to be at peace and content regardless of what's going on. And I put this one on here, and maybe this is just me, excitement. Don't we want life to be exciting and fun? And I think our Christian life should be exciting. But how often, I mean, even this morning, I was talking to a guy at Starbucks while I was trying to study. Um, and he was just going on and on about how he doesn't, he'll never enter a church. He'll never go in for all these reasons. But if the church was exciting, not boring, <laughs> how fun would it be to be part of the church, right? So these are the things we want, but... The door is locked to those things. Oops. Isn't this high tech? <laughs> so the door is locked to the things that we want most. And we try and achieve those things through worldly ways, don't we? Physical things, um, wh whether it be uh, you know, counseling, which is good, whether it be outpost groups, small groups, that's going to be the hub of our ministry. They're going to start in March. And that's a method for us to attain these things. But it's a tool. It's a tool. Bible study, it's a tool. All these things are tools to get where we want. You know, if we want contentment, which is on there, another way to try and get there is to work hard and make a lot of money so you don't have any needs, right? And become comfortable. Well, that's another worldly way to achieve the things. But what is the key? What is the key that unlocks the power of God in this world to make those things a reality? I think the key, if you know how to use it, there it is. The key that unlocks the door is prayer. That's what we're talking about this week and next week. The key that unlocks this door to God's power on earth is prayer. We need the Bible. We need community. But the one piece that often is missing is prayer. And I think we can accomplish great things. Really, God can do great things if our prayer is little. But if we really want to see God do great things, prayer needs to become a priority. So look with me back at this passage, if you would. We're going to skip over the armor. We're in Ephesians 6. We're skipping over the armor, and we're going to his closing. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Your battle is spiritual. He lists the armor, and then he ends with this. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He lists the armor and then he lists prayer. And prayer is not a piece of the armor. Prayer is, is kind of an overlay over the armor. The armor is very good. That's why it's here. We need the armor. The armor is Jesus Christ. But often we miss this one piece of prayer. Listen to this quote. I heard this quote just a few weeks ago. Um, it's by Vance Pittman. Vance Pittman is a pastor of Hope Church in Las Vegas where we've been getting our training. And he says this. He said, God in his sovereignty has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. Listen to that again. Do you believe this? God in his sovereignty has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. Now, I have to, I have to admit um, I saw a similar quote that I'm actually going to quote a little later. Uh, this is a couple months ago, and I read this. Something like this. God in his sovereignty has chosen to limit his activities to the prayers of his people, and I fought against it. I said, I, ah, my God's bigger than that. 
My God's not limited to us. He can do whatever he wants to do. Why would God wait for us to pray for something before he acts? He wants to do things. But the more I fought against it, the more God gave me other things, scriptures and people and, and, and other quotes to go, no, Derek, you're wrong. You need to change your view. I often throughout my life, I, I've had a decent prayer life. I think through my life. But he's shown me it's not what it should be, not even close. As a pastor, as a Christian, not even close. Um, I always kind of thought, you know, my gifts are in leadership and teaching, and so I'm going to focus on those things. Other people are gifted in prayer, and so they should spend hours in prayer. But I'm going to go do <laughs> while they pray. God has shown me, Derek, you got it all wrong. If you're going to go do without the prayer, your doing is going to be pretty worthless, pretty worthless. And that's been tough for me to grasp, if, if I'm honest. And I'm having to make serious changes in my life because I believe God has been telling me, Derek, if you don't commit to pray, and I'll tell you what it is for me, it's an hour a day in the mornings. That's what I feel God telling me. Derek, if you don't do this, you're not going to see the fruit you want to see. But then he's added something on. He said, and if, if this church of Common Ground isn't going to be a church of prayer, you're going to be just like every other church in the country. That isn't doing a whole lot. And I went, that's the last thing I want. <laughs> I want excitement. I want to go. He said, then you better prioritize prayer. And so for this year, 2016, Common Ground, our focus is going to be prayer, plain and simple. If our, we have one emphasis, and somebody asks you, what's your church about this year? Prayer. We're about prayer. We're going to learn about it. We're going to do it. <laughs> We're going to learn some more about it. We're going to do it some more. And God's going to teach us as we do it how to pray. Just so you know, um, we have a two-week series this week and next week on prayer. But for the next two months, I'm going to do a midweek podcast. It's going to be about six minutes long. Every week it's going to be on prayer. Because as I've been studying for these two messages, I'm like, this is, there's way more information in the Bible on prayer than I can give in two weeks. And we need constant reminders. We need constant teaching. We need encouragement. So that's what we're going to get. So I encourage you, if you don't have the Common Ground podcast, get it. And if you don't listen to the sermon, fine. But midweek, turn it on around Wednesday. And find, it's, it's short. You can listen to it driving somewhere. And, and just think about that because we're going to make this a priority. Now, let's get back to our passage. We're going to go through this, Ephesians, and we're going to hop around a little bit as we go through Ephesians, uh, just chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. But we're starting there. Now, here's your first fill-in if you're a note-taker. Our battle is spiritual. We see that from verses, verse 12 primarily. Our battle is spiritual, and our greatest weapon is prayer. And the question is why? Why is our greatest weapon prayer? And, and I wrote this. I, th I said, I think prayer is our greatest weapon because biblical prayer is an act of desperation of a soul completely dependent on God. When do you pray most? When you're desperate, right? And doesn't God want us to be dependent on him at all times when things are good and bad? And so prayer is a, a, a dependence. It is a relying on the power of God, not our own. That's why I think it's our greatest weapon. So Ephesians 6.12 says the enemy is demonic, and they're coming after us. And with our mission, listen, our mission at Common Ground to expand the kingdom in our lives and the world around us, are going, we're, we're a target. Do you know that? Just by being part of this body, you're a target because we want to advance the kingdom. 95%, I read this stat, 95% of evangelism in the United States is done through church plants. Did you know that? 5%, only 5% of churches that have been around for longer than, I think it's 5 to 10 years, really do much evangelism. It's all done in church plants, which makes sense. Now, there's a lot of churches out there that, that are continuing to expand the kingdom, but most evangelism, most outreach going 
isn't done through old churches. It's done through new churches that study the Bible and go, we're about the mission and going. But get this, most church plants don't make it. Most church plants don't succeed. Why not? Because the enemy sees a church plant, knows that it is the, the tip of the spear, <laughs> really, for God to move into this world. And so he's going to take them down. And he does. And as I went through the training, you know, they warned us. They said, the enemy's going to come after you. Me specifically, my family, but us. And some of us in leadership that have been doing things, we've felt it. We've experienced it. And we've talked about it. Again. Remember, we, we talked about this. The enemy's going to attack. And he's attacking us specifically. Are you okay with that? Being part of this means you're going to be a target. Because we're, we're going to relentlessly pursue God's mission. So at, if that's the case, we need to go to prayer. And so Paul outlines prayer for us. And this is exciting stuff. It's exciting to me. I hope it is to you. So look at verse 18 with me, please. It says this. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. What does that mean? Prayer. Praying at all times. Always in prayer. You never hang up the phone. <laughs> you know, it's like you're talking to somebody, and you just leave it off the receiver. Okay, we, it's all cell phones now, so I don't know. You just put it in your pocket, okay, and you leave it on. But you never hang up. You never say amen. We do say amen. But you're kind of constantly, always, always praying. You know, sending up all the time connection, okay? That doesn't mean there's not times of devoted time on your knees in prayer. I think that's very important. But you're always talking with all prayer and supplication. This is also talking about all kinds of prayer. That's what, he, what Paul is talking about. You're praying all the time, but different kinds of prayer. Do you realize there's different kinds of prayer? I've been going through the Psalms lately, and it's fun because you see David praying, you know, worshipful prayers. Oh, you, you know, just adoring God. Other times you pray him in tears, in danger. Help me, help me, help me. Other times you pray, you know, he's praying against enemies. But there's all kinds of prayers. Who's our example for prayer, oddly enough? Jesus himself. And so I want to look at Jesus himself as our example. Jesus was God, right? Absolutely. Is God. Jesus was also man. Absolutely. Jesus, on the, in this life, he had all the limitations we have. He operated in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit and the Father the way we have to. Prayer was a vital part of Jesus' life. Luke 6, 12 through 13. And so this is still kind of under the heading there of, of praying all different kinds of prayer. But here's Jesus, Luke 6, 12 through 13. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Jesus had a lot of followers, but he was going to choose 12 to be close. What did he do before he chose those 12? God in man form. You, you would think that he could just go, hey, you, 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 let's go. But he spent all night in prayer before making that big decision. This is Jesus. When's the last time you spent all night in prayer for a big decision? <laughs> yeah, me too. That's one of the hard things even for me to preach. Because when's the last time I spent all night in prayer? I don't think I've ever spent all night in prayer. I hope that changes. But Jesus spent all night in prayer for a big decision. That's one kind of prayer. When you have a decision to make and you go prayer and fasting. We're gonna, fasting is going to be a midweek podcast, just so you know. So watch out for that. Um, but prayer and fasting for big decisions. Looking on Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, this is Jesus, departed. And he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. 
I've referred to that, that verse before. The night before this happened, Jesus was up late teaching and healing people. He went to bed late. We know that. He woke up early while it was still dark. How much sleep did he get that night? I don't know. Not a lot. Prayer was such a priority that he got up early and he went and prayed. So he prayed fervently, desperately in, in big decisions. But prayer was also a daily thing for Jesus. He needed to depend on the Holy Spirit, on God. Don't we all the more? So these are all different kinds of prayer. Now, let me add this. Prayer individually for a big decision. Prayer with your mate, husbands and wives. Nothing will grow your relationship more than prayer together. Prayer corporately. And this is the one that I think most of us need the most growth. I do. It's corporate prayer. Getting together and praying together. Jesus shows us that example with his disciples also. Now, look on. What's the next thing? Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit, in the spirit. Often when I read that one, in the spirit, I thought that meant silently to yourself. <laughs> so I can pray all times in the spirit. That's what it means. As I'm going about my day, I'm, I'm talking to Jeremy, but I'm praying in my head. This morning, sitting, sitting at Starbucks, I got through a couple pages and this guy sits down and starts talking about books, sci-fi books. <laughs> um, and he kept talking. And, and as I'm talking to him and trying to, I'm praying the whole time going, God, is this an opportunity you want me to seize to minister to this man? Or is this something from the devil trying to you know, lead me astray so I can't focus on what I need to do, minister to you? Well, I don't know that decision. So I'm praying while I'm talking to this guy going, what do I do here? I'm praying. In the, he doesn't know I'm praying. But what does it, you know, give me a sign and show me what to do. And, and he did lead me through that. Um, I'll tell you later what I did if you care. <laughs> But praying in the spirit does mean that. But praying in the spirit also means praying united with the spirit. That's what Paul's talking about. Pray in the spirit, meaning your spirit united with the spirit of God, praying for what God wants. That's what praying in the spirit means. You're united with God in his desires. Okay? These aren't selfish prayers where you're just praying for what you want and hoping they happen or, you know, wanting God, the genie in the bottle to do what you want. You're united in spirit to what God is doing. This is a big deal. This may be the biggest thing in, in the whole series here is praying in, in the spirit according to what God wants. Most of our prayers, again, American individualism. And what do we do when we get together? We take prayer requests and we pray that our circumstances change. <laughs> How often do we get together and pray in the spirit for what God wants to do? Here's, here's a, the picture. We got a ship, okay? Picture of pirate ship. Pirate ship going along. You know, they, they go out to sea and it's full of the crew. The crew, okay, the, the ship is the church. That's us. The crew is all of us. Now, I've heard it, this analogy given where there's the crew is the leaders in the church, and uh, the, the people, the passengers are the people in the body. I, go, I don't like that because we're all supposed to be workers on the ship. So we're, this is more of a merchant ship. We're all workers on the ship. So we get on, and a ship has things to do. Um, if you haven't seen the, the new uh, whale movie, the Moby Dick movie, it's kind of fun. Go watch that. But you'll see what I mean. Everybody has a job to do on the ship. Me and Lydia saw it, and she rooted for the whale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but the picture was there. Everybody had something to do. If you don't do your part, things break down. Um, we're going to be talking about the church in a few weeks. But so you, you got the ship. Everybody gets on, and you're doing your things that you need to do. You're doing your small groups. You're doing a weekend service. Okay, you're doing outreach projects. You're doing the things you need to do. But the ship is just sitting there. It's not going anywhere. What makes a ship, and I'm talking an old-fashioned pirate ship, what makes it move? When the sails drop. Is that what you're going to say, Lydia? That's right. When the sails drop, the ship starts to move. Prayer is the sails. 
prayer drops the sails because prayer aligns us with the spirit. Prayer drops the sails. But what moves the ship? Do the sails move the ship? What moves the ship? The wind. So what's the wind? Ooh, you didn't know I was going to ask that when you raised your hand. What's the wind? What's the wind? The Holy Spirit. Absolutely. The wind is the Holy Spirit. So you drop the sails. The wind comes through and moves the ship in the direction the wind is going. Now, if you're a good, you know, seaman, you know how to move the sails so you go whatever. Um, but we want to go where the wind is going. We want to go where the Holy Spirit is moving. Here's a, a verse for you. John 3, 8. Jesus is speaking and he says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's us as Christians. We're to be led by the Spirit going in where the Spirit wants to go. But we, we get it in our minds. We want to go this direction. And so we're going to do everything to make the ship go that direction. But the wind's blowing over here. So we drop the sails and prayer aligns us with God. We pray in the Spirit. Where are you moving? And that's us, common ground. This new church plant in Carson City, we want to go where he wants We've got dreams, we've got desires, but we want to see the kingdom go forward. The Holy Spirit's already moving. Let me tell you that. The Holy Spirit's moving. He has a plan for here. And if we don't align with him, we're just going to go by the wayside. So we want to go where he goes. That's going to happen through prayer. And I believe that fervently. I believe that seriously. We need to pray so that he will move us in his direction. Now look back. Oh, here you go. This is in your notes. Be in constant communication. This is on verse 18. Be in constant communication with God. That's what prayer is. United in spirit and desire. And the, psalm, the psalmist wrote that, uh, you know, um, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay? When we're delighting in him, not going our own way, he gives us those desires. And we go in that direction. So look back. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit. Now we get that. With all prayer and supplication, all kinds of prayers. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep alert. How do we remain alert in prayer? What's the picture he's been given of a, a soldier, armor? Picture an, an army out encamped. What are they going to do at night? They're going to set some watchmen out. That's, that's kind of the picture he's given. Be watchful in prayer. Be alert. Be looking. Like this morning when I met with that man, I'm alert. God, what do you want to do here? And I'm having to pray to see what he wants me to do. Most of the time, I don't do that. I'll be totally honest with you. Most of the time, I see something like that as a hindrance, as a, this is just getting in my way. I don't see opportunities as something God can use. I'm on my mission doing my thing. I'm in transaction mode most of the time. But I think being alert in prayer means we're constantly talking and we're alert to what he's doing. So you're at work, somebody says something, you're like, that's an opportunity. It, you know, you're alert to what God is doing. Somebody comes to you with a need and you're alert. You, in your own, you might go, I can't meet that need. No, but if you're alert and you're praying, go, okay, actually, I know somebody who can meet that need. I'm going to, you, you see what I mean? You're alert and you're paying attention to what God is doing, but also to what the enemy is doing. Scripture says, don't be deceived. Uh, don't be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. So we're looking, we're watchful, and we need to be watchful because the enemy is going to try and come in and mess this up. So we're watchful. And when we recognize, we go, I know what that is. I'm not ignorant of the enemy's schemes. I know what that is. I'm going to pray in that direct pray against that. So we remain alert in prayer. And we persevere. You see that? Uh, keep alert with all perseverance. What does perseverance mean? Perseverance. When do you need perseverance? When times are tough. When you're under attack, you need to persevere. 
when you're in a battle and the battle is going longer than it should go or longer than you want to go, you need to persevere. You need to make it through. When you're desperate, you go to prayer. You make it through. Let me tell you, life, if you're going to really live it on mission for God, and I believe we're all called to it, not just pastors and missionaries. I think we're all called to, to be missionaries. We're all called to be in the ministry. You're all ministers. Uh, scripture says you're actually all priests and priestesses, the priesthood of all believers. You are God's communication to the world. If you're going to actually live that out, it's going to be tough. And the Bible talks about that. It's going to be tough. People are going to come against you. The enemy's going to come against you. So we have to persevere. And we persevere through prayer. Have you ever felt just worn out spiritually, tired, done emotionally? What brought you back in line? What rejuvenated you better than anything? For me, it's prayer. This isn't just words on a page for me. For me, when I get that way, if I'm smart enough or, or spirit-filled enough, I'll go, I'll find a spot, and I'll just pray. And I'll start with the Lord's Prayer. I will. I'll start with the Lord's Prayer. And then all of a, all of a sudden, I'm centered and here's what God tells me. You're not as big as you think you are. <laughs> You're not as important as you think you are. I'm much bigger. And so I get centered and I walk out in peace. The circumstance probably hasn't changed yet. But I walk out in peace because I trust him. And I go, I can do this. I can make it. The harder times are, the more times you probably need to do that. But we persevere. We make it in prayer. If prayer is not a big part of your life, you're not going to persevere. You're not going to be alert. You're going to be brought down. And you're going to live all the time trying, you know, at the bottom of the barrel, trying to get out. So here's in your notes. Remain alert to spiritual things and don't give up. Spiritual things, isn't that really intellectual? <laughs> but remain alert to spiritual things, positive and negative, and don't give up. Now, here's the other thing about prayer. Look at verse 19. Well, okay, we can't skip the end of 18. It says, making supplication for all the saints. Supplication. These are direct requests to God for each other and for our, the, all the saints, the, the other saints in, in the, the valley. Are we praying for the other churches? Okay. As we get together for prayer meetings, we're going to. Are you praying for those other churches? I hope so. When you drive by anyone, you pray for them. So we're praying for the other saints, those overseas, missionaries, uh, those in those countries where they're being killed for their faith. Are we praying? Are we praying for each other? Are you praying for me? And my family, I hope so. If not, put that on your calendar. <laughs> um, but we want to be fervent in prayer for each other, okay? That's why it's okay to share your, your prayer requests. It's okay to share what's going on in your life so that others can pray for you. Now we can go back to verse 19 or go forward. Paul says this. He says, and also, so talking about prayer, and also for me. He says, please pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly. What does he pray for? He is asking for prayer as an offensive weapon right here. He's saying, pray that I will have boldness in my speech to move the gospel forward, to share the gospel, to expand the kingdom. That's his prayer. That's our mission, to expand the kingdom in our lives and the world around us, the kingdom of God, not our own kingdom. That's what Paul's asking for. Pray that I will be bold, that my words will be effective to expand the kingdom, to share the gospel. This is in your notes. Expand the kingdom through prayer. Expand the kingdom through prayer. Now, this is fun because if you look at Paul, he says, I am an ambassador in chains. At this time, this is a prison epistle. Paul was in prison. 
Paul was in prison for his faith at this time. If we were in prison for our faith, how would we want people to pray for us? Probably. Or how would we pray for our brother or sister in chains? We would probably pray for them to be set free, wouldn't we? I, that's what I would ask. Hey, life is miserable. Will you guys please pray that I'll be out of this? That's not what Paul asked for. Paul said, this is an opportunity. These chains are an opportunity. Pray that I'll be bold here. Isn't that cool? Now, those prayers were answered, by the way. Look over at Philippians. If you're where I'm at, it's just one page over. Philippians 1, verse 12. 12 through 14. And Paul is writing about his experience in jail. And he says this. Uh, this is Philippians 1, 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul asked, his prayer was that the kingdom would expand from his imprisonment. And here he's sharing, basically, those prayers are being answered. Paul was chained, it says the imperial guard, it's also called the praetorian guard. That was the Caesar's close guard, basically. There in Rome, there was probably about 9,000 of them. And he says, they all know. Though all 9,000 know, they took turns being chained to Paul. Can you imagine being one of those guards? So every day or whatever you switch or, you know, halfway through the day, you just rotate through. So a new guard would come in, undo the chains, chain a new guard to Paul. And Paul's like, hey, <laughs> let me tell you why I'm here. Over and over, he's going, till they all know. What an opportunity. That was Paul's prayer. My goal today, to, next week we're going to talk about what hinders our prayers and how to pray effectively, which is going to be fun too. My goal today is that you, you just get a, a grasp of the importance of prayer. My goal today is that we walk out going, I'm convinced, scripturally, I'm convinced prayer is a priority and I need to make some changes to do it. Or if you're doing it, that you walk out encouraged. Good, my priorities are right. But that's my goal today. Next week, my goal is going to be the details of it, okay? So look on. Um, well, actually... I want to give you a couple examples. Not just biblical. Um, June 1990, I read this in a, a book by uh, John Franklin, but it was June 1990, 250 missionaries, uh, they went to Mabasa, Kenya. 250 people go to Kenya for 14 days. In that 14 days, 30,000 people came to Christ. I just want to read you an excerpt from, from his book when he was talking about this experience. He says this, and he was split into just a team of three. So they were going hut to hut in teams of three. He says this, Our little team of three had just finished witnessing in one of the villages, and we were walking down a dirt road that led to the next. Up ahead were several Kenyan men seated on stools by the roadside. As we approached, one of them arose, walked briskly toward us, greeted us in English. Not totally unusual because Kenya had been a British colony. And he says, Excuse me, are you from America? He inquired with an obvious agenda. I responded, yes. He continued, are you one of the ones who has come here to tell us the word of God? Again, I answered, yes. His voice intensified solemnly. We've heard that you've come, and we've heard that Jesus and of Jesus and his great power. Tell me, how does one become his follower? My friends and I went on to uh, 
sorry, I missed my spot. My friends and I went on to explain uh, the plan of salvation without the least, sorry, I wrote this wrong. Um, I deleted a whole line. It's all right. <laughs> we went on to explain the gospel and how to become saved. And the man responded without hesitation, and he immediately replied, let's pray. He says, I thought to myself that was too easy. He must not have understood. So I explained it again. I understood the first time, he said with impatience. Let's pray. <laughs> he said, do you see why this story sums it up? The glory of God fell so powerfully that they came to us to be saved. In 14 days, 250 short-term missionaries, these people like you and me, that just went there, 30,000 were saved. And he writes, you know, they were curious, why? Why did this happen? Well, what happened is they investigated and looked into it. The local churches there in Kenya were praying for months and months for a revival. They were praying for months and months that God's spirit would move in. During those 14 days, while the missionaries were there, one church in Kenya, this is a local body, one church would spend all night in prayer. And the next night, a different church would spend all night in prayer. Sometimes churches would come together, and they would spend all night in prayer. And he, he describes in his book attending one of those prayer meetings because he figured it out. Oh, they're praying. He went and attended one of the prayer meetings, and it just blew his socks off. Prayer was why that happened. Prayer was the instrument. It was the tool. It was the key that unlocked God's power in Kenya was prayer so that people could go in as missionaries. And basically, people come up and say, hey, how can I get saved? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Who would love to see that? I would. I would. John Franklin, who was there, he writes this. He says, the greatest workings of God come by corporate prayer. That's prayer together. Corporate prayer. We will not see the power of God in sufficient measure to change the world around us until we pray together. I had another example from uh, Asbury College. This was in the 70s. Asbury College in Kentucky. Students were praying for revival on their campus. One day they had a chapel service, normally an hour long. That chapel service lasted a week, <laughs> where, where students were coming up and confessing sin and giving their lives to Christ, and it spread out of the campus into the local churches and local community. It was just a revival that happened, but it was predicated on prayer. Prayer came first. And I, I, I'm under the conviction that anytime revival happens, prayer has been happening first somewhere. You might have to look to see where that prayer was happening, but prayer was happening first somewhere. Again, let me give you Vance's quote. He says, God in his sovereignty has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. So are we praying or are we just hoping God will move? Charles Spurgeon calls prayer the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. The slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Prayer can do anything God can do. And what can God not do? He can do anything. Therefore, we in prayer can do anything. Again, we're going to see details of that next week. You know, maybe not anything, but anything that should be done. Look at Acts 1.14 real quick. I think that's going to pop up here. Acts 1.14. If not, just listen. You don't have to turn there. Acts 1.14. This is the very beginning of the church. And we know that it, it went rapidly. Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. But what was happening before that? Acts 1.14. These all, this is probably about 120 disciples, 120 followers of Jesus. Jesus died and rose. They went back to Jerusalem. They all got into a room and waited. It says this. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, about 120 people were devoted to one thing, prayer. 
The result was Pentecost, 3,000 people saved. The next chapter, Acts 2, 42, after many were saved, the church starts doing what the church does. And here's what it says. They were continually devoting themselves, we've, we've looked at this before, to the apostles' teaching. That's Bible study, okay? That's what we're doing right now. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship. Breaking of bread, that's taking the Lord's Supper together. Fellowship, getting together in, in home groups, in outpost groups, having each other over for dinner. They were getting together and to prayer. That's what they were doing. They weren't doing a lot of programs. Just so you know, Common Ground is not going to be a church of programs. It's going to be a church of the apostles' teaching, which we do here and more in outpost groups. The breaking of bread, which we do here and in outpost groups. Fellowship, which we do here, outpost groups, and whenever you want. <laughs> Fellowship and to prayer. Those are the things the church did. And I think prayer is that one that we've forgotten in large part. Churches have, have stopped doing that one in large measure, corporately together. The first church did not. The first church was committed to prayer. And it goes on. I'm not going to list them all, but just go through Acts and watch what happens. <laughs> they pray and this happens. This happens and then they go pray. Prayer was, it permeated all that they did in the early church. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I talked about George Mueller, but I called him Hudson Taylor. I always get those two mixed up. Um, but those two, they were both missionaries. But Hudson Taylor was an English missionary to China, 1832 1905. Um, by the end of his life, they had 205 mission statement stations in China. They had 800 missionaries and 125,000 Christians in China through their work. And Hudson Taylor said this, it's possible to move men through God by prayer alone. You have all your strategies to lead men to God and through God. He said, but prayer is the only one that does it. George Mueller, who I talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, 1.4 million New Testament Bibles he sent out in his life. Um, he circulated 111 million tracts. 275,000 Bibles. He supported 189,000 missionaries. After the age of 70, he preached in 42 nations to 3 million people. In his life, he cared for over 10,000 orphans and provided education for 123,000 students. And listen to this one. And he received, and this is in the 1800s, and he received 7,500,000 in unsolicited funds. $7,500,000 people gave to him, and he never asked for a dime. And George Mueller says this. He claims that four hours of work with one hour of prayer before will yield more than five hours of labor. And that became the rule of his life. Because busyness is the thing that gets in our way, isn't it? We don't have time to pray. And, and so he spoke right at that. He said, you don't have time to pray. Well, you're going to go out and work for five hours? Don't. Go work for four and pray for one before, and you'll find you do more than five hours of work. And so that's the way he lived his life. And look what he accomplished. As I've looked at, at all of this, as I've studied, the truth is over and over, anybody who has had any real significance on this earth for Christ has been a prayer warrior. They haven't been people like me in most of my life who've gone, I'm going to let those gifted in prayer go do it. You know, the old women that have to stay home anyway, they'll, 